I spent my 32nd birthday at a funeral for a young man who was 29. And I heard testimony after testimony at his funeral of how he was Jesus to so many people, how he loved Jesus and how he wanted other people to love Jesus. And that was his sole focus and goal. And in my humanity, I sat there saying, God, if that's the case, why am I at his funeral? And why are there old people who are 80, 90 years old who spend their life thumbing their nose at the truth of God? Why is this the way it is? And I don't know a solid answer. All I know is that my friend Ryan did what God asked him to do and he heard the words when he passed away. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. I'm going to start out today by reading the section of scripture that we will be uh, studying together. And that is, as I stated, Psalm 119, 17 to 24. Um, I'm really enjoying going through this psalm. I think it's a very um, personal psalm of uh, cries of honesty um, from the psalmist to the Lord. And I really think in a lot of ways, as I've studied this song in the past, that it is the Christian journey in a nutshell. So that's one of the reasons why I love it and why I wanted to share it with you in this series. So let's read um, Psalm 119, 17 to 24. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that as we open up your word together today, that you would be honored and glorified and that your word would go forth powerfully. I pray that it would meet people where they are at. And I pray that each and every one of us would be better people for having been here this morning under the sound of your word. Um, For as... Peter said in days of old, you alone have the words of eternal life. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we look at this section, remember our overall series is on the power of the word of God. And so today's topic in regards to that power is wisdom in hard times. And so 
that is the lens through which we are uh, looking at these verses. And so uh, the first point that I want to point out, if you're taking notes, is a cry for wisdom and protection. A cry for wisdom and protection. And for that, we look at the first two verses here. It says, Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. So for these two verses, first of all, if you look at through, through the whole Psalms, you'll notice something very important, and that is that the psalmist, whoever they are in a given psalm, are always reminding God of his character. And it's not because God needs to be reminded of his character. God knows who he is. But the reason that that he, he, we remind God of his character is because God made promises to us. And as we remember the promises of God, and as we repeat them back to him, we can be reminded of his faithfulness to us. And I think of all the times that God interceded for his people. Uh, when he, even after the golden calf, when God said, I'm just going to destroy these people and I can start over with you, Moses. What did Moses say? He said, no, do not destroy them because they know that you let us out of Egypt and they will curse you if you do. Now, do I think that God had an ultimate plan to destroy them? No, I don't think that God changes his mind in that way. But Moses, in that time of trial, in that time of strife, was reminding God, this is your nature and you are faithful to your nature, so therefore be faithful to us. Another good passage to remember about that is that when God swore to Abraham to uphold his covenant, he gave Abraham the covenant, then he fulfilled the covenant. Why? He swore by himself because he could swear by no one greater. So I think it's important for us to have that perspective. So the psalmist here is saying, deal bountifully with me, be kind to me, that I may live and keep thy statutes. The psalmist knew he couldn't do it on his own. And how many of us have been in a position where we think that we can live the Christian life on our own and we fail? Because Paul said, that thing that I would do, that I do not, and the thing that I would not do, that thing I do, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he said, thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way that you and I can live the, hum the Christian life without the intercession of Jesus for us. The Bible says that he is sitting, sitting at the right hand of God and he maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. He does this because he loves us. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray and interprets our prayers and gives us what we need when we pray and ask him. Because we can have um, a lot of our own motives go into our prayers. That's why we don't get everything we pray for. Because if we did, then our God would not be a good, good father as we know that he is. 
And then he says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And I read something really interesting this week. It said when when the psalmist is saying this, he's not saying, give me a plainer version of the scriptures. Make it easier to understand. No, he's saying, open my understanding so that I can understand what is here. Because I think so often in our modern culture, in our attempt to make the Bible easy to understand, we bring it down to us instead of praying for God to give us wisdom to bring it to bring us up to it. And we end up watering down the truth and making it say what we want it to say rather than what God wants it to say. And so this prayer should be the prayer of all of our hearts that when we open the Word of God, that God would open our eyes to behold the wondrous things that He has for us to learn. And I know for me that's a challenge. Uh, every year I try to read through the whole Bible from cover to cover. I found the best way that works for me is 90 days um, because then I don't get bogged down in one part of the Scripture. Of course, the rest of the year I'm studying more slowly. But when I get to those tough sections like Leviticus or like the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, I just pray and I ask God, give me one thing that you want me to meditate on today that will help me as I'm walking with you. And he he very often does just that. He's very faithful to show us his word. So we need to make sure that we're not intimidated by the word of God, that we ask God for help. Remember, we've already talked about in the past here that if we ask God for wisdom, he will give it to us because when we pray according to God's will, he hears and answers our prayer. So often we pray according to our will and then we get upset that it doesn't get answered. But if we pray according to God's will, he will answer us. And it's also important to say that he always answers our prayer, but sometimes his answer is not the one that we want. And so we often chalk that up to, well, God didn't answer my prayer. But in reality, he's giving us what we need, not what we want. Could we look, um, by way of cross-reverence, at Titus 2, 11 and 12? Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. So Paul is saying in this Titus passage that the grace of God appears to us. And I've heard grace defined once as the desire and the power to do what we ought. See, there are some people that use grace as an excuse to do whatever I want. I prayed a prayer when I was seven so I can just live whatever life I want and I have the insurance policy of heaven. But what Paul is saying here is that we are instructed to turn away from these evil things, turn to the good, and the power for that comes in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Christians walk in newness of life. So it's a, it's a whole new perspective on the way to live. We're to deny ungodliness and pursue righteousness. Remember we've talked about here in the past about how in order 
to be righteous in order to live a successful godly life you have to put off the bad things and then put on the good things because everything in the christian life um is about uh, filling voids because we need to be doing something so doing good in place of bad is important paul says elsewhere cling to that which is good abhor that which is evil we need to cling to the good in order to be able to successfully abhor that which is evil. Acts twenty six thirteen to eighteen. Acts twenty six thirteen to eighteen. About noon, your Majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down upon me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, "Saul, Saul." Why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. <coughs> Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. So here we see again, Paul is going one way. He's go, going to Damascus. Does anybody remember why Paul was going to Damascus? He was going to persecute the Christians. He had already thrown some in prison. He had already witnessed the the death by stoning of Stephen. Um, I think it's interesting that one of the things that Stephen said when he was stoned is, do not lay this sin to their charge. He He emulated his master by essentially saying the same thing Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And God answered that prayer when he changed the life of Paul. And I think it's interesting that Paul's physical journey mirrors the spiritual journey that he went on because he's going one direction um, to persecute the, the church in Damascus and... God literally knocks him off his high horse and he says, go into the city and I will tell you what to do. And he basically outlines for for Saul of Tarsus, who would later become Paul, this is the mission that I have for you. I think that's pretty exciting that God gave him a mission right out of day one of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul fasted and prayed for the next three days before Ananias came and touched his eyes and scales fell off them and he was made to physically see just as he had been made to spiritually see. And what a wondrous story that is. So Paul could, if he read the Psalms, which I'm pretty sure he did uh, because he was in the Sanhedrin, um, he could really see the reality of verse 18 open my eyes that i may behold wondrous things out of thy law and remember paul was a 
uh, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was all about following the law. But then he realized that the law put the grace of God to shame. It wasn't enough. The grace of God was necessary to save to the uttermost those who would be saved. So what a wonderful um, testimony Paul gave. And he gave it wherever he could. And Herod Agrippa, after that testimony, said some of the saddest words in the whole Bible. He said, almost you persuaded me to become a Christian. But I'm here to tell you today, there are no almost Christians. There's either Christians or non-Christians, either dead or alive. There is no almost in the kingdom. A college professor once said of a particularly poor student, the trouble with him is that he does not know that he does not know. That is true ignorance. It is real wisdom to know what we do not know. The premise of coming to Christ is to know what we do not know and to know that we don't have the strength to be righteous. While we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And without the wisdom of God, we cannot hope to live a godly Christian life. We need to know that we know nothing. And when we know that, then he can help us. Jesus said, I've come to call sinners, not the righteous to repentance. And what he was saying to the Pharisees at that time was, you think you're righteous, so there's nothing that I can do for you. Far better to realize our sin and to place it in the hands of the only one who can take it away from us. And that is Jesus. He's done the work on the cross and we are very thankful. I am very thankful for that. Our second point today is we see the psalmist give an acknowledgement of his love of and need for God's word. Let's look at Psalm 119, 19 to 21 together. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the pr proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. So what do we see here? We see the psalmist acknowledging that the earth is not his home. I'm reminded of the scene in Pilgrim's Progress where Pilgrim goes through Vanity Fair and he shields his eyes from all of the temptations that are there and, and the people want him to test their wares and he says, no, I'm not made for this place. I don't belong here. And so is it's the same for us. So the psalmist is saying, I need to navigate living here on this earth. And so he says, I'm a stranger in the earth. I don't belong here. Hide not thy commandments from me. Why? Because the commandments that God gives us are signposts on the road of life. I'm reminded of a meme that I saw on Facebook a while back where it showed a guardrail. And the ungodly sees it as a fence to keep them from the pleasures of life. The godly man is saying, no, it's a guardrail. You need to be careful. Don't go over it. And then it shows the guy jumping over the guardrail and falling off the cliff. 
So it's not a fence to keep us from the good. It's a guardrail to keep us from the bad. That's what God's commandments are. And then, verse 20, My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. When I look at the world and the emptiness in it, and I see the repeated um, disobedience to God's commands, it grieves my heart because I know that the judgments of God are good and I know that they have a purpose and I know that the end of the evil is not good. What did Paul say? He said, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. Paul knew that God had uh, orchestrated hell for the devil and his angels and for anyone who did not trust the Lord. And so he was compelled to share Christ wherever um, he could. He told Herod Agrippa, I would have you would have you be like me in every respect other than these chains. He says, I want everyone to be saved. Then verse 21 we read, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from the commandments. So the psalmist is acknowledging that this is the end of those who err. So we need to stay with the commandments of God because the end of those who don't is destruction. In Psalm 1, the psalmist says, The wicked are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And so we need to be aware of that. It's serious business for us to consider this morning. But the other blessing of it is that God is the one who does the work. We just need to trust Him. Later on in this psalm, we will read, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And truly... If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you understand the significance of that. Psalm 37, 12 and 13. Psalm 37, 12 and 13. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. You know, it can be very difficult for us to to see evil men prosper. I know one of the toughest things for me to understand, even now, is I've had friends that were godly and sold out to the Lord Jesus who died at a very young age. I, um, When I was 32 years old, I spent my 32nd birthday at a funeral for a young man who was 29. And I heard testimony after testimony at his funeral of how he was Jesus to so many people, how he loved Jesus and how he wanted other people to love Jesus. And that was his sole focus and goal. And in my humanity, I sat there saying, God, if that's the case, why am I at his funeral? And why are there old people who are 80, 90 years old, who spend their life thumbing their nose at the truth of God. Why is this the way it is? And I don't know a solid answer. All I know is that 
My friend Ryan did what God asked him to do and he heard the words when he passed away. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I've heard a saying, it's not the amount of years in the life that matters, it's the amount of life in the year. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So the psalmist is... Um, in turmoil, but he's saying, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. We we sing that that song, and I really like it. As the deer panteth for the water, it comes from this psalm. And then the second verse, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Isn't it wonderful that we can say that we serve a living God? There are so many gods in this world, but only one can say that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day. Jesus told us before he went to heaven, Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means whatever I'm going through, I can know of a surety that Jesus is with me. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. One final passage, 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we are to respect those in authority over us. We are to respect those older than we are. We have a problem in our modern culture that says that the generations are separate. We fostered uh, a society where every generation is separate. Many churches even have separate Sunday school classes for every different age. So you walk in the church, you find your group that you are with, and then you see... um, your family again at the end of church. Now, that's not the case for every church, but it is very much so that we consider people to do best when they are with their peers. But the Bible says, he who walks with wise men will be wise and a companion of fools will be destroyed. So I really truly believe that intergenerational living and erasing this fictional idea of an age gap is one of the best ways to do it. I have friends of all ages and I benefit from each of them. And I really think that this can help us to live a rounded Christian life. And then, of course, we are supposed to know that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So the best place for us to be is to be in a place where we are humble, where, again, where we realize what we don't know, and we're always seeking 
to be improved by the study of the Word of God and by learning from the wisdom of others. We don't have to make the same mistakes that others do if we are willing to learn from their wisdom. John Stott said, A man who loves his wife will love her letters and her photographs because they speak to him of her. So if we love the Lord Jesus, we shall love the Bible because it speaks to us of him. The psalmist loved the word of God and he hated to see it maligned. And so that's what brought distress to him is to see the word of God mistreated. That's the kind of uh, heart that we need to have. There's a contemporary song that says from Casting Crowns that says, Break my heart for what breaks yours. And I really think that in order to see revival in the church in America today, we need to have people within that church who are willing to have their hearts broken for what breaks the heart of God. All right, moving on to our third point of the day. The psalmist finishes this section with an appeal to God for justice. God is just. You know, a lot of times people say God is love, and He is. But you can't understand the love of God fully unless you understand the judgment of God and you realize that we are not under the judgment of God because of His mercy. So let's look at Psalm 119, 22 to 24. It says, Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. Looking at verse 22, there's actually two different ways that you can apply this. One is, the psalm is saying, remove from me reproach and contempt, meaning remove from me a reproachful attitude and contempt for the things of God um, because I have kept your testimonies. So as we read the Bible, as it becomes more a part of us, then we will no longer scorn instruction. We will become wise and we will accept instruction and learn rather than being a fool and hardening our necks. We will also um, go from being a proud person, as we talked about before, to being a humble person and a teachable person. There's nothing worse for a teacher, God included, than a student who is not teachable. So as we pray and ask God for that teachable spirit, that happens. The second application is that if we are being reproached and people are having contempt from us, we seek God for protection from that. We say, God, I've kept your testimonies. Please protect me. And then we see princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. I'm reminded of Daniel, where the people that worked with him, the people that worked under him, were so resentful of his authority over them. Remember we talked about we need to have respect for authorities. Well, this is the opposite of that. Uh, They didn't respect his authority, Daniel's um, co-workers. 
And so they sought anything they could to speak against him. And we all know how that ended. They ended up being lion food. So it's not a good idea to speak against the things of God because he will get his vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We don't have to worry about getting vengeance because God will. Do you realize that every person that is tormenting you today or that's tormenting the world at large will one day bow the knee before the Lord and say, He is Lord? Some will do it too late and they will end up being cast into the lake of fire. But others who have done it now will be able to physically do it in joy and adoration. And I'm looking forward to the day when I get some new knees. And the first thing those knees are going to do is kneel before the Lord and confess Him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I'm looking forward to that with great anticipation. So he says, Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant meditated in thy statues. Notice when all these bad things, all through this section, you're seeing him go through these trials, have these hard times, but his answer is always God and God's word and God's statutes and God's law. And then what's the end result of this section? Thy testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. In Psalm 1, I know I'm making a lot of parallels, but in Psalm 1 it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law doth He meditate day and night. The things that we meditate will be on our mind. The things that I think about before I go to bed are often the things that crop up in my dreams. So the best thing to be thinking about, and I say this to myself as well as to you, is the Word of God and the laws of God. What a wonderful privilege that we have His written Word for us. And like John Stott said, if we love Him, we will read His Word. It is a love letter to us. And then we need to realize that we may be the only love letter that certain people read. Paul said, you are my epistles known and read of all men. What a wonderful, but also sobering thought. Can we read 1 Peter 4, 14 to 16? 1 Peter 4, 14 to 16. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of the Lord rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So in this passage, we have Peter saying that suffering for Christ is a blessing. Remember, Jesus said in his own Sermon on the Mount, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad if men shall persecute you for my sake. But Peter also says, make sure that your persecution is for my, for the Lord's sake. Because it can be very easy for us to be persecuted because we're being jerks and then act like we're being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Paul said we are to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. 
We are to speak the truth in love. Now I realize that if you speak the truth and it hurts, the unregenerate person may hate you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, do not be alarmed because it hated me before you. So if it hated our master and we are to emulate our master, Christian means little Christ. It's interesting that Christian was actually, the first time it was used, it was used as an insult, basically. Because because people said, well, they're acting like Christ, the one we tried to get rid of. And uh, we were less than successful, so they were annoyed. And so they called them Christians first in Antioch. But we are to emulate Christ, and so we will be hated as Christ is hated because we do that thing. The truth hurts to those who hate the truth. The truth is a balm to me because I know that the truth has delivered me out of many troubles. Colossians three sixteen and 17 but the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, uh, Paul is saying here, this is your defense mechanism against the garbage of the world. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And if the word of Christ dwells in you richly, how does it come out? You teach each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And then the outgrowth of that is that everything you do is done to please the Lord and not to please men. And that is how you can live above the world. Again, this is not in a prideful way, but this is saying, I do not live on the same plane as the world. There's an old song that says, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm finding every day, and as I go, I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on solid ground. And I really do pray that that would be the prayer of our hearts, is that we would be planted on solid ground. And that solid ground is the ground of the Word of God and the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. As I say often, the Word of God will not make sense to you, the written Word, until you come to know the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Because the things of God are spiritually discerned. The Bible says that the cross is foolishness, or more plainly said, stupidity, to those who are perishing. But to those who believe, it is the power of God. Oh, how sweet to view the flowing of our Lord's atoning blood with divine assurance knowing He has made 
my peace with God. Isn't it wonderful to know that when Jesus looks at you, if you are a redeemed believer in the Lord Jesus, He says, instead of judging you on your own merit and sending you to hell, He says, peace be unto you. I pray and I hope that you know the peace of loving and serving the one true God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your rich Word. We thank You for this time that You've given us to study it. And we, along with the psalmist, say that we are strangers in this world, but we pray that You would help us to keep Your commandments and to and that you would hide them not from us, but that you would allow them to make us stronger in you, and that we would be daily conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus. In the precious name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.